0: Hello and welcome to episode 114 of Below the Fold, where some of the best content is just a scroll away. Today's conversation is on Content Shock why content marketing is not a sustainable strategy. Or is it? Let me throw down some introductions. We've got Nate Birch in the studio, SEO Manager at MapR Technologies. That's me. And Brandon Hassler, founder and CEO of Market Campus
1: what's up my man
0: and paxton gray director of digital marketing operations at 97th floor hello and i'm jacob perry digital marketing manager at myriad genetics before we get started let me mention this episode's sponsor it's self-publishing university they are the go-to resource for learning how to successfully publish and profit they offer a step-by-step resource that covers the entire publishing process from beginning to end And they're great for beginners and seasoned professionals. So today's conversation, content shock. This may be slightly more organic than other shows because some of us didn't properly prepare. But I'm going to spend just a couple minutes setting this up. And hopefully we can take it down a road that is helpful and insightful and uh, interesting. So at the beginning of 2014, an article was written by a guy named Mark Schaefer. And that, that was the title or the topic that we're talking about. The name of his blog post is Content Shock, Why Content Marketing is Not a Sustainable Strategy. And in essence, I want to basically just share what his, his, his assertion was, what his idea was, and get your opinions. But mostly, the reason I brought this up is because there, back over a year ago, almost two years ago now, this was a big topic that a lot of people were going back and forth on. And so Mark's assertion was was basically this. We are on the brink of what he dubs content shock. The tipping point at which the volume of content being produced surpasses the human capacity to consume it. Content shock, he says, will soon drive the cost of content creation beyond the means of all but the biggest companies that will have the biggest pockets. His conclusion, the current trajectory of content marketing is not sustainable. And I'm I'm pulling that directly from another blog post from msp-c.com called Content Shock Myth or Reality. So it's just that. He basically put forth uh, the massive amounts of content that are curr- that's currently being created by 2020 is supposed to get six times the amount that it is today. And he thinks that there's basically going to be a tipping point to where more content is being created than can be consumed. Meaning... If you want eyeballs on your content, you need to have a lot of money getting pushed into that content. As you consider content creation, and uh, so some of the points that he gave, he said back in 2009 using uh, on YouTube, for example, a lot of the biggest and most popular videos were amateur videos on kind of a local scale. And over the last several years, the bigger companies have have seen the value in YouTube and have been pouring a ton of money there and Now, as you go and you see the most popular YouTube videos, most of them are from bigger companies who have budget spend so that's kind of the that's kind of the idea of content shock. I think he's the one who kind of coined that term the other side of the fence or the other side of the argument <clears throat> I want to share this real quick so there was an article by Shell Holtz written around the same time where he basically says, this is not a real thing. It's not something that's going to happen. It's not something we should worry about. There are always going to be enough people to consume content, regardless of how much content there is. Anyway, so that's kind of the idea. Content shock. Is it a real thing? Fact? Myth? What do you guys think?
2: I, honestly, I think if if it were to happen, it would have already happened. Because if you look at the entire reason that Google came up with a search engine, was to make it easy for users to to search through all the junk that was on the internet.
0: Well, so l- 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 let me kind of counter that with, it's gotten to the point now. So the argument necessarily, let me take it a step further. I, d- I don't know if this was kind of what he was trying to get across or not, but if you get enough content, so say we have 100% of all the content and 10 years ago, only 20% of that content was good. So... That 20% is what Google honed in on and tried to make visible to the people searching for it. I think that part of this content shock is that not uh, that 100%, uh, that 20% of good content is getting bigger. So we're going to see a lot more good content only because that the amount of content is going to grow. Well, that 20% even may stay the same, Right. But if we have 100 pieces of content 10 years ago... The volume we'll, will still increase even though the percentage exactly. is the same. Exactly. So yeah. the volume of good content is going to increase regardless of how much crap content sure. is there. Sure. And,
2: and I think it's I think it's a per-platform type of issue. If you get back to the, uh, the discussion we had about early adoption for social networks, the entire reason that, for example, you look at the App Store that, that uh, Apple put out. Initially, you didn't even need to go try to optimize your app to get it on there. It was easy to find them because there were so few. Now... It is a near impossibility to have a new app that someone can actually find in the app store. And so, as each platform emerges, you're going to have that natural plateau where there's so much good stuff that's pushed into it that it is really, really difficult to get anything of value from. Well, not anything of value, but to get anything new. Let's see, I,
3: I, I think I disagree to some extent. I agree with you. Uh, your opening statement, Nathan. But one thing I'd first like to point out is his title, just like as the title of our show is content shock, why content marketing is not a sustainable strategy. And then the very first sentence, he says, this post will demonstrate in simple economic terms why content marketing may not be a sustainable strategy for many businesses, not is not. So a he makes a soft claim. Like, exactly. So he's kind of like immediately backing out from his statement. Click that paid. was the headline. I also don't like when people cite how much content is on the Internet Because what most people don't understand is how much content is either auto-generated or uh, just completely spam. And the more spam bots are out there, they're going to produce more and more content. And that is being included in this uh, calculation, which is is completely irrelevant. And so I think that, yes, there is more and more content. And if you go back to that analogy or that example that you're talking about of the 20% I think what's actually happening is we had 100 pieces of content, now we have 1,000, and now it's only 5% are good. I think the same amount of good content exists now as it did before, almost with some exception. It is growing, but I don't think it's growing at nearly the same pace that the amount of overall content is growing. You look at the App Store, for example, I think that was a good example to use it as a mini universe in which we can kind of test our theories here. While it's true that it's harder to get an app seen, the quality of apps overall have gone up. And if you create a quality app, you will be seen. It will happen. It it will rise to the top. There are not quality apps that are buried in the App Store that no one knows about because I know because I'm like an app hunter and I look over and over again and the same apps keep popping up and I already have them. I've already seen them, but I dig through and the low-quality apps, that's what fills the millions of apps that the App Store claims they have the really quality ones take up a very very small percentage of the overall app store usage.
0: I think I think that the amount of quality content is going up. Did you say that it's not? No, I said it it's is. going up yeah, but just not nearly up. at the same pace that the amount of content
3: on the internet is increasing.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. So coming back to that tipping point mentality, at some point if we if we completely exclude all the crap content, eventually and only hone in on that good content, eventually and maybe we're already there with certain industries and in certain businesses or whatever but we're going to get to the point where there's so much good content that and we look at there are 10 spots on Google's front page right and that's always been 10 spots but there are more than 10 really great pieces of content for any given keyword
3: yeah but your your definition of good content is limited content that's good now is not going to be good content it in improves. 5 years
2: it improves you'll have a, a top percentage of quality content. And, and I like Paxton's uh, argument at the beginning. It was that there is a lot of good content, but there's still the best of the best. And the definition of good has to transform. Well,
3: and it's not always that new content comes in and it's better than the old content. Sometimes the, con- the, the content that was good just isn't good anymore only because it's old. It's not because the content that's coming in is better. It's just because the content that's coming in maybe at the same level, but just it's new. Like if you look at the, I don't know if you guys remember Ask a Ninja. Does anybody remember Ask a Ninja videos? No. No. Okay. Well, it was really popular back in 2005. That was when podcasting was first starting. He had a video podcast. Really funny. Ask a Ninja. It was before YouTube really was uh, uh, took off. That was the thing. That was it. And it was hilarious. Very well written. And it holds up today. It would still be awesome content, but no one's interested just because it's old. The content that's now popular is not any better than it was before, but it's new. And so the content that's being seen is, is good content. But if you produce quality content, and this goes back to this, some old debates, but really, if you, if you produce some good content with some promotion behind it, it will get seen and it will be consumed. The fact is, is that what creates good content, fortunately, has so much to do with how humans interpret the world. And it's about storytelling. It's not about money. You can tell really good stories with very, at very low expenses. So this guy talking about it being sustainable, you're boxing yourself in into what you think is good content.
0: I think that the speed at which good content comes out is going to exponentially grow. And I say that because 10 years ago, and I'm strictly talking from like an SEO ranking standpoint, where... Google has gotten to the point, they're 100 they're they're 100 million times smarter than they were 10 years ago, so you could produce crappy content with really great results, and that's not the case anymore. If you want to be relevant, and if you want to be seen from an SEO standpoint, being found on search engines, you have to generate really great content, and I think people are seeing that and understanding it a little bit better. Obviously, you'll have those small subgroups of people who still are sold on the old ways of SEO, but... For the most part, I think people are getting it to generate good content, good content being defined as something people want and engage with and share and, and, and things like that. More, we're going to see more and more of that, I think. Yeah, we will. But I just
3: don't think that people, I, I, I think very few people possess the ability to create good content. They don't have the storytelling capabilities to actually produce content. They know that they need to produce good content. They can spend all the time in the world doing it, but they just can't do it.
0: Yeah. You'll definitely have those people.
3: So I don't think that we're going to really be increasing at this really fast rate just because people know it's necessary. They just can't, they just produce really crappy content and they know that they are trying to do good stuff, but they just can't.
1: Well, I think, I mean, content is, we hear the phrase all the time, content is king, right? And I think one thing this article is trying to say is that content's not always going to be king. It's not a sustainable strategy, but think about, Think about all the websites we visited today. Why do we go there? It's because we expected to read or see something new. So, I mean, right. your Facebook feed, it's it's fresh content. It's just a different form. You look at I mean, infographics. Some say infographics are dead. And are infographics as, power, as powerful as they were five years ago? No, because back then, infographics were kind of a new medium of consuming information. Now, you look at one thing that's, I swear, I see every five posts, it's those... You know, you got the table, the camera's pointing down, and it's showing how to make this cool little recipe in like 10 seconds. That's huge right now. And now every food blogger is hopping on that, trying to make their own videos. And they're thinking, that's that's what's taking off right now. Quizzes with BuzzFeed, that was taking off. And everybody just keeps trying to replicate that over Mm -hmm. and over. And then eventually it dies because Mm -hmm. we as consumers, as readers, we get sick of seeing the same thing. We want something fresh. And so, I mean, it's simple. And Jacob mentioned at the beginning how this author uh, mentioned that you need to have money essentially to get your content out there. And I think there's some truth to that. I mean, a lot of it is just basic economics. Advertising in times square is much more expensive today than it was 25 years ago. Same Are with you
0: taking the, into account inflation.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's always thing you have, you have population growth and you look at Facebook right now, people say, Oh, you mean I got to pay to get my, my crappy post promoted to, so, so actual people see it. Well, yeah, because it's such an overpopulized, um, system. You look at a new thing like vine. I mean, vine's not necessarily new anymore, but the content, when you look at like the first content that was on vine and compare it to today's content on vine, it's completely different. It's because vine has evolved. And as you get more and more popular, the smart marketers will start looking for new venues. Just like we stopped looking at billboards and print. We started looking at this in- internet thing, and then we started looking at social media because not everything is around search. Social is really big. And then we have these new social networks. What's next? I don't know. Are people going to start selling advertisements in their Minecraft levels? I don't know. There's all Aren't sorts of- Aren't they already of, doing that? I, if if not, that's a great idea. So <laughs> I just think in that five minutes ago, I'm like, I should create, sell some ad space in Minecraft. Yeah, First, I got to learn how to create levels on Minecraft,
0: <laughs> but- So l- let me let me kind of take this conversation in a slightly different direction, almost more towards that Minecraft direction. So I want to come back to this article- refuting the idea of content shock, basically saying, don't worry about it, it's not going to happen. So uh, I had mentioned earlier, this is uh, by a guy named Shell Holtz. And in one section here, he says, this is not the first time that people have said that content is going to overwhelm the population. And I just want to read a couple little sections out of here and then ask a follow-up question as far as where, where are we going, okay? So this is what he says. Uh, This is how he opens it. He says, despite centuries of prediction, it hasn't happened yet. And he's talking about content shock. If you think the notion of information overload was a product of the 20th century, think again. There are biblical references to information overload. And in the first century, Seneca, the elder, worried that the abundance of books is distraction. The invention of the printing press signaled a new technology that further heightened fears that too much content would surge into the hands of the common person, who was ill-equipped to deal with it. Some feared public education would fill children's heads with more information than they could absorb, causing them more harm than good. Last paragraph. In fact, virtually every technology, excuse me, every technological advance has brought with it accompanying fears of overload. According to Schaefer, this time is for real. Recently, the introduction of mobile devices has untethered us from desks and even our homes increasing the average amount of daily content consumption by Americans by two hours a day. <clears throat> so he talks about first a little biblical verse that talks about how books are, there are too many mm-hmm. books in the world and they're generating too much distraction. Then he moves into the printing press, right? You think about the printing press, how huge of a leap in content consumption must have happened at the uh, time that the printing press was invented. Same concepts, same arguments were, were posed. And, and now getting more closer to present day, we have the advent of the internet and computers and smartphones. Well, we've been talking about these platforms, right? We talked about the app store and how at the very beginning it was really easy, but now it's hard because it's evolved. Well, coming back to the internet, you think of how massive the internet is, even though it's still relatively new, what's next? Brandon says Minecraft is the next spot he's going to go take his adver- advertisements to. But on a serious note, eventually, if if the theory holds that the internet itself is going to get so saturated that we need to go to other venues or other avenues of advertising and 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 content creation, what's next?
1: Well, you look at uh, have you guys seen those three sixty videos that everyone's doing now, like the surf videos? Yeah, are, I hate those. Are it, awesome. like. Well,
3: I, I don't even know what those are. Tell me what
0: those are. So you are
3: watching a video. You can click and drag the screen and look in all directions. Oh yeah, as a video, like cool. a little bubble. Yeah. Cool oh, wait, technology. It's video? Yeah, it's video. Oh, I've seen the. I've seen the photos. No, no, I'm trying to no, it's video. To VR. It's a cool technology, but it just like completely goes against my OCD nature. I know that there <laughs> is, I don't know, however many, like three other angles that I'm not seeing. Like, what if a shark pops up and I just am looking the wrong direction? So I can't stand that stuff. If I were looking, if it, maybe if it were VR and it was like on my face i would feel differently but uh, like it just stresses me out anyway cool that's technology. funny because i mean how do you feel about real life because uh, i know that's right what now- <laughs> i'm saying that's what i'm saying if it was on my face i'd probably feel different but just like the fact that i know this is recorded stuff and there's something i'm supposed to be seeing and i don't know if if i'm seeing what i'm supposed to be seeing anyway side point and you guys give one me thing,
2: problems being in an open office Come
3: one, on. one thing that i would like to bring up is this idea that we are consuming more content now than we've ever consumed I think that's completely false. Humans are consuming just as much information now as they've always been consuming. The information is just different. Back before there was the internet or back before there were books or things to read, there were pictures to look at. Back before there were pictures to look at, there were trees and rocks to look at and animals. They're, they're always consuming information. That's how it's always been. It's just that we're looking, The amount, the amount, com- the pieces of information that we're consuming are just different. But the amount of information that we're consuming is the exact same as it's always been.
2: But that's saying that amount of information is purely visual stimulus to the brain. That's it.
0: Right. Exactly. Do you want to argue
2: that point, Nate? Well, sure. Because if you take, take, for example, I can look at a blank white wall, which we basically have in front of us. And I can say that I am taking in X amount of information. Whereas if I plaster that with billboards every pixel technically by your by what you said that's the same amount of information where really every single piece every single square that i'm looking at could be a very different type of information that's going to register in my brain very differently than a blank white wall
3: yeah it's that's what i'm, I'm not saying it's it's not different
2: but the amount of information that's being taken in the amount of visual you, stimuli you, is sure it's the same but the type of information again I, again
3: I, that's what i'm saying i'm not saying it's the same. I'm saying the amount of information that you are accepting into your brain is the same it's always been. I think a good example for this is using food, for example. L- food. You could say humans are consuming more now than they've ever consumed before, right? Or that's the, the whatever. And people are coming up with more and more foods. Eventually, we're just going to reach just the point where we have too much food that that we're, we can't think of any more new foods. And if you have new, or food, more than
2: can be consumed. Sure, whatever.
3: Yeah. Are we not at that point yet? But the point is is that food goes bad after a while and it's not desirable anymore. There's also trends like Brandon had mentioned. It's it's cool to eat kale right now. In twenty years, it's not gonna be cool to eat kale for me. And today so it's not cool. we cycle through different trends and different things and things that were once popular are no longer popular. Yeah, like we twenty not-
0: years ago when people were eating chicken pot pies.
3: <laughs> 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 we don't need to worry about this. Tipping point when all of a sudden there's too much food, too much content now for for us to ever consume it all. That's just we don't need to worry about that. And humans are just accepting just as much information. I think where we get this feeling that we have way too much information overload is that we're accepting little bits of information from places far across the globe from brains that are very different than ours, and so it creates this very scattered form of thinking, and and I think creates a sensation that. There's too much information going on in my brain. And really what it is is that there's a lack of continuity between thoughts because my in- attention is being pulled in so many different directions. But the amount of information I'm pulling in on a daily basis is the same as it would have been if, had I been born in 200 years ago. So well, yeah. there's
0: got to be a difference between passive consumption and active consumption, right? So when we're staring at a rock or a white wall or whatever, that's very passive. It doesn't take a lot of brain power in order to consume that type of visual stimulus. But coming back to Nate's point, different types of content affects us differently, right? That's mm-hmm. why the studies say that you shouldn't watch TV 30 minutes or an hour or whatever it is before you go to bed. You shouldn't eat 30 minutes before you go swimming, right? Which is actually not true, by the way. Well, thanks <laughs> for clearing that up.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, again, that, so you, you're just backing up my point. My point was not that I'll there's will back up not, your point all day long. <laughs>
2: Well, and my p- point was that there's my...
3: not, it's not that it's, there's any adverse effects or that there's not a difference. My point was the amount of information that's going from your eyeballs to your brain is the same as it's always been.
2: Sure, that, that'll be the same. But if you go back to, for example, the, the printing press idea, the point of the printing press was to spread knowledge and information. The point of the internet is to spread knowledge and information. So you, you can't get past the idea that you have more Knowledge and information available to consume and to receive and to have as input, not just visually, but in I, many other. No, forms.
3: I understand, but people are acting as if you—it's possible for you to just see too much things. No, right? and, and that that's how, how this pl- is talking. With it. it's like it's talking as if it, going back to the food analogy. Like with food, you can eat too much, yeah, but it's not possible to look at too many things. Can you see too much? Right, you, you can't, can't see too right. much. Exactly. I agree with that. There is there you can be overstimulated. Yes. Sure, and you can have too many things pulling at your attention at once for sure, but you cannot observe more or well, I guess you could close your eyes, but really, <laughs> I mean, you're observing the same amount of information as you did whatever.
0: I want to I want to say one last thing and then and then unless you guys have another quick point, we'll move on to last word, but coming back to this article I know I've referenced this several times, but it's it's very good by Shell Nults he he gives the example of why tons and tons and tons of content is irrelevant. And the example he uses is a magazine stand. So if you go to like Barnes and Noble or you go to whatever convenience store, you know, they all have their magazine stands. And as you stand there and look at it, you have, in some cases, probably over a hundred magazines to choose from. And that comes back to the, the content shock, right? You have a hundred different magazines. They're all about different things. you got tattoos, you got uh, motorcycles, you've got uh, swimsuit magazines, you've got nudie magazines. Um, his point is basically, it doesn't matter how much content exists out there because you as a consumer are going to hone in on that one piece of content that you care about. So if you have 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 magazines to choose from, you're not going to worry about the Martha Stewart magazine if you don't care about that. You're not going to go to the cooking magazine. You're not going to go to the to the sports magazines if all you really want to know about are the, the coolest tattoos that people are, are putting on their bodies nowadays. And you're just going to hone in on that one piece of content or that one magazine, and that's what you're going to find. What if you can't find it, though? What
2: well, if there's so much distraction there that you visually you would spend too much time looking for it and you give up on it.
0: So I think that that comes back to the point where it's not its not about not finding content about tattoos or whatever the given topic is. It's now, now there are 10,000 tattoo magazines that I have to choose from. It's
2: Decision Overload.
0: Yeah, yeah. And whoa, there's a yeah. topic idea right there, Decision Overload. Anyway, so my point is, it doesn't matter how much content there's going to be because you're going to find what you want and you're going to hone in on that one thing and you're not going to have to worry about all the other millions and billions and trillions of content pieces that are out there that that are completely irrelevant to what you're looking for any last comments on that no let's go into last word 60 seconds of uninterrupted time to say whatever you want we'll start with myself i'll go ahead and start this segment this is interesting to me, content overload or content shock. I I think I'm in the camp where it's not something that we necessarily have to worry about because for the reason that if it ever gets to the point where there's too much content or there's too much noise or there's just too much whatever, we'll just move on to the next thing. I don't know what the next thing is and we didn't really jump into that at all. Maybe it's Minecraft, maybe it's virtual reality, right? a type of second life where you You leave the real world to go in and see just as much advertising as there is in the real uh, world. But I don't think it matters. I don't think it's something I'm going to worry about. I don't think that it's going to, I don't think people are going to lose their jobs over it. And uh, this is not something that is new. It's something that's happened over the last hundreds, a few hundred years. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about it. And I don't think you should either. Let's move to Nate. What do you got?
2: All right, so it was kind of interesting because the whole time that we've been talking about this, what's going through my head is, uh, is Moore's Law. So if you take into account Moore's Law, it says basically the, the amount of transistors on a, on a chip can double every year, which basically says that technology or the speed of technology should double every single year. And it's interesting to watch technology trends because you'll run into a spot where you get down to the physical capacity of a chip and people are saying... And it doesn't double. Well, it does. Well,
3: processors haven't been doubled. Processors
2: don't, but their capabilities do. And sure. that's, that's my point. You, so you have this this given law where you're saying every every year technology is going to double or has the potential to double, maybe not in transistor size, but in capabilities. And While well, at the same time technology is
0: uh, halving in size. Well, yes. Sorry, yes, that's this part is of supposed of to be it. on an unadded. No, an that's, that's part <laughs> of it.
2: But the idea that content itself would have the similar thing, is it possible? Maybe, but I think platforms, uh, new, new platforms will emerge. If you take, for example, Facebook, that basically happened with the teenage crowd. They—it's it, it's not Well, maybe they did get overloaded by it, or they didn't like the fact of their parents or grandparents being on it. it they got bored. Maybe it wasn't uh, information overload. But I'd be curious to see if anyone is able to actually uh, apply a lot to that uh, the content marketing theory.
0: Brandon.
1: There's two main platforms that we consume media, social and search. I would assume we would all agree those are the two most popular places. And I think most of the pressure slash responsibility relies on those who run those platforms. So Google is constantly striving to filter down the best content for what you're looking for. Uh, networks like Facebook, Google+, Plus they are constantly working on algorithms that will filter out what they think is gonna be the best content for you. As a digital marketer, I don't think there's anything to sweat about as long as you aren't trying to replicate your content types over and over and over. As long as we're looking to the future, what's the next big thing? Is it 360 video? Is it VR? What are these new you know pieces of technology, these new mediums? And often you can do the same thing that was cool in 1998 but not cool today but is cool in this new medium, when 4K video got really big, people would watch videos of footage of New York City in 4K. And if that was the same exact video three years ago in HD, it wasn't that cool. But because it's in 4K, it's really cool. Surf videos in 360 is really cool. So as long as we're innovating, I think there's nothing to worry about uh, in terms of content not being a sustainable strategy.
0: I like that. Thank you. Paxton, last word.
3: Well, I like how this guy talks about content creation and the time you spend on content as paying your people to view it. I think that's an interesting way to look at it. Kind of cool, possibly useful. Overall, I'm not a big fan of this article. I think that people would be better served spending their time learning how to tell a good story and learning how to attract people and give them what they want than worrying about getting about this content tipping point.
0: I like that. So that's our show. If you want to reach us, you can email us at inbound at belowthefold.io or you can come to our website, belowthefold.io. We'd rather you go to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review.